Some people are just never happy. And if we're honest, a lot of times that just comes down to a very, very strong preference. Something doesn't go their way, they are not happy about it. And that creates some difficulty, can create some conflict. When Laura and I were in premarital classes at a church in Dallas, uh, on the night where we talked about conflict, a woman offered some great advice for one of the uh, most common conflicts you come into in really a marriage relationship or any relationship for that matter, the issue of where you're going to go for dinner. You say, you know, you're both hungry. You say, where do you want to go? And nobody wants to make the decision. Well, this lady offered some great advice. She said, if you really don't, you know, care that much, offer something like this. Say, I'm not really craving anything, but I would prefer if we didn't just go to a steakhouse or I'd prefer if we didn't do Mexican tonight. That way you offer some guidelines and you can still keep everybody happy. There's a plethora of other options to choose from. Now, that's a very simple preference and one that really isn't uh, nearly as significant as some, but we know that there are other preferences that people have and they allow them to become wedges, wedges in relationships with significant others, with family members, with friends, even with the church. When we let our preferences rule, schisms can happen. So if you've read chapter three of I Am a Church Member, you know where we're going with this today. And we need to ask ourselves, what dictates your involvement in the church? Is it you, your preferences, your desires, your styles, or are you motivated by something more? So that's what we'll talk about today. Church being about something other than us, other than you and other than me. We're gonna look in Philippians chapter two and in Mark chapter nine, to see what the Bible has to say about this. But first, a universal statement so we can all be on the same page. We all have preferences. There's nobody in here that doesn't have a preference. And so we're all in the same boat. We'll all be challenged. We'll all have the same thing we need to apply to our life. It's not a pity party. It's not bashing on our preferences. In fact, we'll talk later about how preferences are actually a good thing. But we're gonna see how we can be a more effective church member and how we can allow our preferences to not dictate the life of the church and instead work for something so much better. So that's where we're going today. But before I dig into the sermon, I'm gonna ask my mother to come forward and she's going to give us the testimony uh, for this morning's sermon. Um, I'm not asking her to do this as the pastor's wife. I'm asking her to do this simply as my mother, somebody I've watched for 28 years uh, exhibit Uh, what it means to not just live and serve based on your preferences. My heritage is one that taught me the importance of making choices pleasing to God. My grandparents faithfully served God until they were unable to do so physically, but they continued to study God's word and prayed for God's kingdom's growth. My parents served God through his church, and as I grew, I served alongside them. Occasionally, they didn't like the changes that were made. However, their attendance in worship and their service to the church never decreased because of these changes. They they chose to remain faithful to their membership vows. Denny and I have set an example for our children, and they are finding ways to honor God in the communities where they live and worship. My family left me a holy heritage However, it was something I could hide behind. 
I allowed, my, I allowed selfishness to rule my life, which made me more insecure about myself, my abilities, and most of all, my relationship with God and my family. It was not a good place to be. I chose to move away from God, and that made me realize how much I needed him. So I began to have devotions. That helped, but it wasn't enough. Not until I decided to seriously commit myself to Bible study did I change my preferences to those that honor God. That decision changed my life. King David made many bad choices, yet God said he was a man after his, God's, own heart because he was sensitive to God's will. That gives me hope and a goal. I want to be sensitive to and aware of God's will for me. Now my preferences aren't centered on me or relying on my family's Christian heritage. Instead, they are focused on how I can help grow God's kingdom as a member of Yorkshire Church. I practice a discipline of personal Bible study group Bible studies, singing with a choir, helping with behind-the-scenes preparations for special worship services and events here at our church. I teach Sunday school, participate in family ministry activities, and our Tuesday morning prayer group. Romans 12, 1 and 2 states, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This means we are to serve and obey God. Believers identify with Jesus Resurrection. Practice holiness and are set apart for the Lord's use, pleasing Him through our service. We serve Him out of love for Him and for all He has done and given to us. I am living my faith in the ministry and mission of Christ, where I enjoy spending my time, talents, gifts, and witness in the fellowship of our church. I am so glad that I chose to change my preferences from me to those of God's kingdom. It is what God desires of me. Please look at your preferences. Are you fulfilling God's desire for you? Joy is found in making God's preferences our choices. I discovered that when I choose to make my preferences according to God's will, I am content, satisfied, and secure. On a much grander scale, the example that I've been able to witness in my mother is seen for all of us, displayed for all of us in Jesus Christ. He is our example, and he is the one we study today. We take a look at him uh, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if we look at this, the first thing we learn, our first point this morning, is that we must loosen our grip on ourselves. Loosen your grip on yourself. In verse six, it says, he existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. To understand that, we need a little bit of theology. So let's think about John chapter one, where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. In the beginning, Jesus existed with God the Father. Jesus has always existed. He didn't just begin at Christmas time when he was born in a manger. He experienced the beginning of the world. Jesus was never not God, and he never will be anything less than God. That word for grasped in the Greek means exactly what it sounds like, to hold with your hand. And so it's not that Jesus is reaching to be equal with God, it's that he doesn't hold on to it. It's not something he feels the need to hold on to. He's willing to loosen his grip, to let it go. A modern translation might be, he did not consider his status more important than being a part of God's plan for salvation. Or maybe instead of status, we might say he did not consider his wants or his desires more important than being a part of God's plan for salvation. For some, it might even be a matter of saying he did not consider his friends and family and social calendar more important than being a part of God's plan for salvation. You see, that's what loosening your grip on yourself is all about so that you can advance God's plan in the world. And we see in verse eight that it was all about God's plan because it says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself, said, not my way, God, but, but your way, your way. He humbled himself. And we know this was more than just him coming to earth as a man. We know it was a lifestyle. When he was tempted in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days. The devil offered him food and all sorts of things. And he said, I worship only the Father. And then as his ministry of, of miracles and, and things began to develop, he had a great following, people that wanted to, to see him and be seen with him. People who wanted to associate with this man who was doing so many great things. And when we're in that sort of situation, it's so easy to, to desire that that public acclaim and the, the fanfare that goes along with it. But in John chapter six, verse 38, he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That was his reply. I have come down simply to do the will of the Father. And then at the end of his life, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, fully human, knowing what's to come, the pain that is about to come to his body, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He prays that because as a human being, he did not want to experience the pain. None of us would prefer pain. But because he was focused on advancing God's work of salvation in the world, he prayed, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. If he only did that once, we'd admire him. We'd talk about him. We'd learn a thing or two but it was a lifestyle. Constantly, Jesus was pointing people past himself to the Father. He was always about 
the Father. And that's what we're called to emulate. We are called to imitate Christ. God has called us to an all-out, nonstop service for him, just like Jesus Christ displayed when he was on earth. All out, nonstop for him. And we might think, yeah, well, he was Jesus. He could do that. I'm, I'm not. We need to remember that he showed us it was humanly possible. Verse seven of Philippians chapter two has an interesting phrase. It says, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. What does that mean? Well, we've already said that Jesus always was God, always has been God, and always will be God. So it doesn't mean he gave himself up from being God. He was still fully God, but he was absolutely fully man. It means he gave up that, the divine attributes that could have, you know, instead of getting hungry, hungry he could have just been divinely filled. That's not the way it was. He experienced hunger. He experienced emotion. He knew what it was to have to try to find food, to try to work for a living. He knew what it was to be disappointed by the people around him. He knew what it was to have a busy schedule. But he also knew what it was to say, none of that compares to the glory of the Father. And he did that as a human to show us that it was possible. And now he is the head of the church like we talked about two weeks ago when we are the members of the body of Christ and with, with, with Christ as the head, we have somebody in charge who's been through it before. That's the best kind of leader to have. Somebody who understands what you're going through, what it takes. During one of my summer employments, I was on a technical services team and I had the task of rebuilding extension cords. Not very exciting, but it gave me an experience that uh, sticks out in my mind as we think about this. I didn't know anything about doing stuff like that, putting cables together, all of that. I had no idea. But my boss took the time to show me how to do it. He sat down, taught me, showed me what needed to, to be done. And that showed, did so much for our relationship. Because not just was he willing to show me how to make an extension cord, but he was willing to say, I'm gonna ask you to do things that I've done before. And because I've done them before, I can help you get through it and accomplish the tasks you have to do. And that's exactly what Jesus has for us as the church. He's calling us to do things that he's done before. He knows what it's like. And so once we loosen our grip on ourselves, suddenly we are able to extend our hand to do God's work. We extend our hand to do God's work. Tom Rainer draws our attention to Mark chapter nine. And in Mark chapter nine, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's on his way to Jerusalem for one reason. That is where he will be arrested and eventually crucified. And so he's going there with the disciples. They know Passover's coming. They know they'll celebrate that but Jesus knows so much more. And he's trying to teach them some things before he leaves the earth. And instead of really gleaning from him and, and learning as much as they can, they begin to argue about who is the greatest among them. Who will be the greatest in eternity? And Jesus sees this and he puts a stop to it. In chapter nine, verse 35, we read, sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. That's the instruction. 
If you wanna be first, you've gotta be last. If you wanna be first, you've gotta be a servant. But then he gave the illustration in 36 and 37. Taking a child, he set him before them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. And whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. The disciples needed an anointed attitude adjustment. And Jesus was giving it to them with this example. He was saying, not only do you need to be a nonstop service for God, all out, always looking for ways to advance God's work of salvation, but it needs to be non-discriminatory and non-preferential. Non-discriminatory and non-preferential. You see, nobody in those days would have preferred to associate with a child. Fortunately today, uh, by and large, society cherishes children. And and as a church, we do everything we can to cultivate in them a, a, a faith at a young age so they can grow to be kingdom men and women. But back then, that wasn't the case. Back then, they were lowly, the lowest of the low. So when Jesus brings a child and tells them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, he's saying, you've got to get low. You've got to be willing to forego all your preferences, all the people you'd rather associate with. Be willing to do this. Be willing to get low. Be willing to serve. Even if it's not preferred, even if it's not what society worships, be willing to do it. Extend your hand to do God's work. And the neat thing about this is in verse 37, we see that the role of servant is dignified. It's not just good to do, it actually is dignified. Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. So it goes beyond Christ. God himself is glorified when we do something like that. And we get to share in that glory. We have special honor from God. Jesus is essentially saying, if you wanna go high with me, you've gotta go low and serve everybody else. If you want to go high with me, you've gotta do things nobody else will do. You've gotta do things that maybe the people around you don't want to do. And this is biblical, it's theological, but practically, what does that look like? Tom Rayner lists several things that are areas where preferences win um, in his book, and to hit on just a few practical areas, be willing to worship outside of your comfort zone. Your comfort zone might be your time. Maybe the reason you come to 11 o'clock is because 9.30 is just way too early. But maybe, maybe at some point you'll have to make the choice to come at 9.30 because that's the only time you can come worship. And worship should be such a priority that that's what you do. Maybe it's your style. Maybe the, the drums and the organ are, are polar opposites for you and you want one over the other. Be willing to worship outside of your comfort zone. Maybe it's your engagement, how, how much you do in worship, how much you do in the church, what level you're willing to give of your life to continue the, God's work of salvation. As you serve outside of your preferred area, um, we need to recognize that we have a tendency to do what we enjoy 
and we ignore what we don't enjoy. For example, April 2nd at two o'clock, we're stuffing Easter eggs. I love candy. That's an easy one. But there are so many other things going on that aren't quite as easy. So many other things that aren't quite as appealing. And we need to be willing to do it. We need to be willing to extend our hand to do God's work. We need to be honest too about why we don't prefer to do those things. Um, And the first one is incredibly genuine and I understand that. Um, That's maybe you're intimidated. Maybe the thought of, of being in front of people or leading a group or reaching out in service in a new way, maybe that makes you feel uncomfortable. And that's okay, it's okay to be uncomfortable. But don't let that be the reason that you don't step out. Don't let that be the reason that you don't extend your hand. Instead, pray about it and serve faithfully in the midst of it. And as people come around you, tell them about your discomfort. Let them pray for you and encourage you to to be a part. That's what being a functioning church member and a a united body of Christ is all about. Another thing that might keep us from doing this is our schedule. Um, Maybe we're just too busy. And if we're too busy, we need to recognize that that means we are too busy. We need to take some stuff off so we can do what God's calling us to do. Clear out some space in in our planners, on our calendar apps. And I can tell you that Megan would love to have some people serve with her on Sunday nights, even if you can only do one Sunday night a month to begin. But people who are willing to invest in our youth make such a big difference in any program. Uh, To have people willing to come alongside our youth and, and help mentor them and help them grow in their faith. Another great way to serve that uh, has to do with schedule is uh, serving with our media team with their technical stuff. Paul is here uh, just about maybe a little over four hours every Sunday. Um, and that's a big commitment for one person to do. Um, and so maybe you need to look in your schedule and see where you could be willing to you know, give up an entire Sunday morning to help us out. Or just say, you'll take the 11 o'clock service for him so he can, he can be able to go to a Sunday school class. Or maybe, maybe it's not schedule, maybe it's just the task. Like I said, we do what we enjoy and we ignore what we don't. Maybe we find it dull or, or uninteresting. But if that's, the pro- if that's what our motivation is, then we're just seeing the task as what needs to be done and not the ultimate goal. See, pray that you can see it as serving the church. Pray that you can see a task as serving the body of Christ, not doing whatever it might be. Because if you see it as a task that serves the church, then you realize that the task isn't the end. The task is a means to an end. And that end is God's glory. That end is God's glory. And that's our third point. We wanna glorify God through the church. We need to glorify God through the church. Turning back to Philippians chapter two, picking up again in verse eight. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." 
if you wanna go high, you've got to go low and serve others. If you wanna be exalted, you've got to be humbly obedient. And again, we're not asking you to do anything that Christ didn't do. In verse eight, it says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That phrase, even death on a cross, is very intentional by Paul because he was writing to a group of people, the Philippians, who understood what the cross meant. They understood it was the worst way to die. They understood that this meant pain, having the nails driven into your hands and your feet. It meant a struggle as you're trying to keep your body weight from, from just being pulled down on those, on those nails. You're trying to pull yourself up, yet all the while your, your strength is escaping from your body. You're becoming weaker and weaker and hanging more and more dependently on those few spikes. They understood that it was not only painful, it was humiliating. It was done in public. People could come to see. And though Hollywood will put a cloth on a body or something like that, probably wasn't done back then. It was just everyone could see. It was humiliating. It took time. It was not a quick death. It was the epitome of a horrible way to die. And as we think on that, as we reflect on that, one, it should draw us into all the more adoration and praise of our Savior who is willing to do it for us. We should also realize that there is nothing we will ever be asked to do as, as his body, as the church, that comes close to that. And when we put it up against that, suddenly the example that Jesus gave us, anything we could do at the church is so much more doable, so much easier. And our reasons for not doing it become so much more pitiful compared to that. Remember, Jesus was fully human. And so of course he would have preferred to not suffer like that. And of course there are things you will prefer not to do. But it was never about what he preferred. It was never about his will. It was never about his wants or his desires. It was always about God's glory. Verses nine through 11 Read them again. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right there we see Jesus did something that nobody else would do and so he is now exalted. Name above all names, every tongue will confess him as Lord. He's exalted, but Why? to the glory of God the Father. The servant is exalted just like we saw in Mark. Just like what Jesus taught, Jesus was exalted in his death, but for one reason only, so that God could get the glory. It's always so that God can get the glory. You see, when God's glory is our focus, all of the other stuff we used to worry about, all those other preferences, all those other little areas of the church that concerned us, they're actually enhanced. They're enhanced because our worship is so much better because you're humbled to a point where you just want God to be glorified. That's all you want. You desire for God to be glorified. 
Your fellowship with each other is better because you're not worried about fitting in or keeping up with anybody. You're just worried about God being glorified by this group of people, by this gathering of people. Serving is easier because things like our time and our likes and our dislikes, all the other commitments we have outside of church, they become secondary to God's glory. Even our traditions lose their importance because the only important thing is God's glory. In the beginning, I said that preferences aren't bad. And I mean that. God has made each of us unique. You are not like anybody else in this room or anybody else in this world. There are things you like that other people don't. There are things you don't like that other people do. And as long as it's in keeping with God's word, that is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We celebrate that. And we can find ways to use those different styles, those different preferences, and those different giftings to enhance the church, to enhance the ministry of the church. But we cannot allow them to dictate our service or satisfaction in the church. We cannot allow them to dictate our service to or satisfaction in the church. Because if they do, if they have that much control over us, then we are motivated by selfish desires and not the glory of God. God's glory shines brightest in the church. You can see any beautiful scene in creation, a mountain, um, the Grand Canyon, the oceans, the, star, the stars and the sky at night. You can witness birth, you can witness miraculous healings, you can see all of these things that God does to display his glory and we praise him for it, but nothing compares to the glory he wants to bestow in his church. There's a reason Christ is the head of the church. It's because what Christ did was the ultimate sign of sacrifice, and now he leads us in a similar form of sacrifice as we put aside our preferences and desires so that God can get the glory. And when God gets the glory through the church, other people come to know him. Other people come to experience him. And that's why the church and God's glory in it is so important. So we need to loosen your grip on yourself. You need to extend your hand to do God's work and then glorify God through the church. And when we do that, it is so exciting to see what God does in and through a church. It it really can't be described and it can't fully be anticipated because it's God doing the work, not us. But I'm excited what we can do as we strive to put aside our preferences to just serve each other so we can serve others so they can come to know about Jesus Christ so that God can be glorified. Yorkshire United Methodist Church is gonna be a very exciting place to be. God will do incredible things in and through us, in and through you when we exist solely for his glory. Each chapter in I Am a Church Member ends with a pledge. I'm gonna ask Paul to put that on the screen, ask you to stand, and I'd like us to share that together. I will not let church be about my preferences and desires. That is self-serving. I am a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. 
My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconvenience and matters that just aren't my preference or style. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you've made us each so differently. We are unique. And that means we have a unique way of contributing to the life of the church. Lord, it also means we have things we really like and things we really don't like. But I pray that we would be willing to put that aside, that we would be willing to, to go low, to serve, to love, and to live in a way that allows you to be exalted and you to be glorified so that we can glory in you. Father, thank you for bringing us together as a church Help us to continually find ways to never be satisfied with where we are. We praise you for the things that we're doing that are reaching people. But Lord, we always wanna do more because it's all about your glory. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name that we come before you. Amen.